I have a love, hate, well, hate's too strong of a word, a love, strong dislike sometimes for crowds. I don't like big queues, lots of, you know, people crowd in, they're smelly sometimes, they crowd my personal space. I feel like I need to protect the bubble, you know what I mean? Anybody here like that? You got a bubble that you want, you know, you're affectionate with people, it's okay, but there's a little space, you want a little space there, respect the space. I have a little bit of that going on, whether I'm in a crowd or in a queue. Sometimes these places make me feel claustrophobic. However, I get that sometimes there's something powerful about being with people at a shared experience. There's something, and that's you know, certainly church, a church gathering, that's, that's powerful. I mean, there's probably reasons for that. We all have these similar views of Jesus, at least. We, we want to lift him up. We want to worship together. There's a sense that we're looking around the room and thinking, I'm not the only one. Right? We're, walking by faith is tough by ourselves. It's good to see people that we know get a hug, things like that. I'll still do a side hug, even though we're still protecting the bubble. I can do that. But there are shared experiences that matter. About, uh, let's see, early last month, Dylan and I, my son, we traveled up to Seattle to see a baseball game, and uh, it was a midday game, so the tickets were a little bit more affordable for the good seats. Normally, when we go to the game, we might be up in the nosebleeds, whatever they call them, and it's a different experience up there. We were able to sit right behind home plate, and the Mariners were playing the Astros. I realize they're going to be in some kind of important series coming up. I, have you heard of it? Uh, anyway, so we were there, and... Uh, there was a game going on, which they won, by the way, which is most, that's always fun to go see a game, and they win. It was a great experience. So the game was happening. You know, you're right there, so you feel like you could reach out and touch these guys. But there was another game going on in the stands. We hadn't sat that close in a while, and we realized we're probably sitting next to some season ticket holders and people like that. These are diehard veteran fans of the Mariners. And there was the game out here, but then there was also the game here. We heard things coming out at us, shouting over things that we'd never heard before. There were special chants that they did. Sometimes Dylan and I were kind of sinking down in our seats because they're yelling at different players, and we're like, I don't want to get involved in this. Something, could bad, something bad could happen. My point is, I mean, we're there, and we would never have had that experience if we were sitting at home by ourselves watching the game. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe you had experience where you, you, know, you went to a, a concert, and everybody there, whether it be a you know, country concert or it's a, a, some other kind of concert, other kind of music venue, you're there with people that all love the same artist, and so you're there and having a great time. Something that you wouldn't quite get by yourself. You see what I'm saying? Something that you wouldn't get to yourself. Maybe you've been to a big sports you know, event, Maybe some of you have been to a University of Oregon or OSU game. You look around the crowd and people are wearing the same sorts of outfits. You feel a bit of camaraderie, don't you? You feel like, hey, we're all in this together. There's a sense of, of unity, a shared experience. There's something electric and powerful about that. And I think that the reality is we do know this to be true about our humanity that there are just some things that are more special when we're sharing those things together. Whether that be an event or a church gathering or, or some other things. We're doing that as a shared activity. There's something powerful and electric about that. I kind of think that when the church gathers, the Holy Spirit is doing some mighty things. 
And there's some evidence of that sometimes. Sometimes we'll be praying here and other people will be praying and there's, there's a sense of unity in camaraderie to that. Connection, community, camaraderie. These are powerful, a shared experience. We're going to be talking about that today as we wrap up our series called Greater Than. We've been in the the letter of Colossians, so if you have your, your guide or your device, pull up Colossians. We're going to be at the end of chapter 3, and we're going to get into and, and finalize chapter 4 of this letter. That's where we've been. The series started a few weeks ago, and, and the whole idea we kicked off was that Paul and Timothy, the writers of this letter here in the New Testament, want us to understand clearly that amongst all the isms and ideologies and religions out there, that Jesus is the greatest. In week one, we called him the goat, not the furry creature that prances around. No, the greatest of all time. That Jesus is all we need. He's the preeminent one. He's over all, in all, through all. He is all we need. He is the greatest, greater than all. And that's why we call the series Greater Than. In Jesus, we see God put on flesh and telling us, the right way, the, the only way to get close to God. In, in our time, and even in the first century, there was all kinds of opinions about how you grow close to God. Oh, here's you got to do this, or you got to do this. Certain religions will tell you certain things. Jesus came on the scene. God put on flesh. And so, no, actually, if you want to get close to God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you want that, you come through me. Jesus is the preeminent one, the greatest of all the one overall, in all, and through all. And so Jesus takes all the world of religion and isms and ideologies, and in Matthew 22 said, well, actually, here's what you need to know. In Matthew 22, he says, and you'll, you'll be familiar with this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he adds a little bit more, and love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest of all time, overall, in all, and through all. Jesus, the preeminent one, he, he, he made it, well, it sounds simple, harder to enact, right? Loving your neighbor can be difficult, but he, he simplified that. This is how you get close to God. So we've said, just like Paul and Timothy, he is the greatest. All we ever need to approach God, we need to go through him. And he's telling us, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, toward the end of the Gospels, Jesus gives a final command to his followers. And he said, now take this good news gospel, this, this, this idea of loving your neighbor and loving God. Take this good news gospel that I'm offering through, through everything I did for you, my death, burial, resurrection. Now take that into all the world. Beyond just this town of Jerusalem, take it everywhere. And we're going to see today that that, in fact, happened, that he took it everywhere. So when you add those things together of, 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 of the great commandment and the great commission, we have everything we need. And today we're going to finalize our series looking at the end of the letter and we're going to see how, how an important component to all of this is us, our community, our family. So let's pause for a word of prayer like we do. This is a Sunday. We meet on Sundays. Why do we do that? Because Jesus of Nazareth, about 2,000 years, was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, did amazing things, raised the dead, healed, taught amazing things, was put to death on a Roman cross. But three days later, on a Sunday morning, that tomb was empty. The ladies went to the tomb, and it was empty. And that moment changed human history forever and changed many of our hearts in this room forever. And that's why we gather on Sunday. So let's do this right now. Let's take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three.
breathe it out. We're hitting reset, first day of the week. Let's pray and ask God to do some great things today. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We love you as our king and creator of all. You came to us, put on flesh as Jesus Christ, and, and you did amazing things. And Father, you taught us amazing things. Help us to lean in to the power of what it means to be in community and to do this faith life in, in your son Jesus together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are talking about community today. You'll see kind of as we wrap up Colossians why we would, why we would even talk about this. We, we've said all along that this letter is like a condensed letter. There's a lot packed in here, a lot in a very short amount of space. And Paul and Timothy really want us to understand what this whole Christian life is all about, what it means to walk in, a, in the Spirit, what it means to walk as a follower of Jesus. This final section, I'd like us just to read it down. Remember last week we talked about the idea that because of everything Christ has done, now as followers of Him, those who are put their faith in Him, we put to death those things that are harmful and destructive and sinful, and we put on the things that are helpful, that are life-giving. So we, we, we stop focusing on the things below and we focus on the things above. Put to death, therefore, those, those things that need to die so we have room for things to become alive and live, right? And those things that are alive, we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Paul and Timothy even add humility to that. And you're going to see why that's important today. These are the things that we, we focus on. This is the new way to be human. And this new way, as we're about to see, affects what happens in homes. So let's start with verse 18 of chapter 3. Follow along if you've got a device or, or, or a study guide. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that, that God may open a door, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may take it, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychius, verse 7, will tell you all about my activities. So now we're getting a little personal here. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. 
Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. A little side note there. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Finally, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He ends the letter sort of the same way he started. Grace be with you. And some church traditions would say, and also with you. We made it. A four-chapter letter packed full of so much amazing theology, practice, some things we can really get our minds and hearts around. As that passage began, we started reading about what happens in homes. You catch that, talking about husbands and wives and, and children and fathers, even bond servants. That would have been something that would have been more common in the first century, especially as you got beyond Jerusalem and Judea, which had been traditionally Jewish strongholds. Once you got away from that into more Greek and Roman culture, you would see a lot more of that in the household. You might, you might make yourself a bondservant at a family so that you could pay off a debt, some other things like that, or you needed a place to live. This was a lot more common than it is obviously something like that we would talk about now. And so what Paul and Timothy are trying to help us understand is when you say yes to Jesus, not only are you putting to death the things that need to die, and, 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 and putting on Christ and love, joy, peace, patience, all those wonderful things that God wants to produce in your life, not only are you doing that, but it also affects your home. I realize that we don't know what happens behind closed doors. But I will tell you, if I were, if I were sitting down, or if we were sitting down with, 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 with Paul and Timothy right now, they would say it matters. What happens in your home matters. When you say yes to Jesus... Jesus affects every area of your life. Let me say it a different way. When you say yes to Jesus, there is no area of your life that remains unaffected. That includes husbands and wives and children, grandparents, bond servants, even your work life. Saying yes to Jesus changes all of that. Children obey, husbands love, wives submit, fathers don't provoke, bond servants obey. Whatever you do, work as if you're working to the Lord. Because no matter who we are, we have an ultimate master. Did you catch that? He was even telling masters, you have these bond servants, but be careful because you have a master over you. This is so radical that it's hard for us to get our minds around. In the first century, do you know who was the true master? In a patriarchal society, who is the true master? Dad, you don't mess with him. 
And so for Paul and Timothy to say, no, actually, in Christ, all of your family relationships are now affected. So you don't get to be the bully, the dictator, or the jerk, or the abuser. In the Christian home, men men submit to Jesus. That is a radical thing. In the first century, you didn't mess with the patriarchal system. So for, for Paul and Timothy to say, actually, no, in Christ, your home is now affected. Even how you handle your servants is now affected. This is radical, and I realize it's hard for us to get our minds around that. We're like, oh, I read through that, Ben, that's fine. No, this was radical. You didn't mess with the patriarchal system. And so for Paul and Timothy to say, no, actually, fathers, you better not exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. You're telling dads and husbands what to do. This is the new way to be human in Christ. That ultimately, every one of us has a master, and that's Jesus, not some other human. This is a radical new way to live. Jesus affects every area of our life, including their home. And it matters. That is so key. Who's the boss? Who's in charge? Jesus. And therefore, humility must reign in almost every relationship that we have. That we have humility in how we parent our children. We have humility in how how spouses treat each other. It's not one lording it over the other person, beating them up for that. No. In Christ, if you say you're a Christ follower, your home is radically different. This is the new way to be human. So Paul would tell us, if Paul and Timothy were here, he said, yeah, your home matters. So, so abuse, that's, that, you can't do that anymore. There is no abuse. There's no just blanket, you can do whatever you want, dad or father. Now you have a responsibility because your master is Jesus. And he's telling you a different way to be. So you stop abuse. You step up for the family. You take care of the family. That is crucial and a new way to be human. Christ affects the household. As we got into chapter 4, Paul's going to leave the household code conversation and move toward back to some rhythms. And if you notice that in verse 2 of chapter 4, he reminds us of the rhythms. This is how we operate. We're, 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 We're steadfast in prayer. Remember, we just did a series not too long ago on rhythms. And those were the, the spiritual practices and disciplines that help us mature in the faith. And these, these rhythms and disciplines help us to grow in Christ and to, 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 to embrace everything that Jesus has for us. This idea of community is part of our rhythm as well. That rhythm series could have gone on for probably another four to five weeks. You might have been like, ah, I'm so tired of the rhythm series. But it's important. This is a rhythm. This is why we meet together, why we encourage one another why we confess our sins to one another. There's a community element to following Jesus. And so Paul is going to remind us, hey, continue steadfast in, in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. We've, we've talked about it a couple times, that there's actually some science behind being grateful and being thankful. Like if you can get up and write a few things down on your notebook or whatever, things you're grateful for, it actually changes you internally. Of course, we've known that since the Scriptures, right? The scriptures told us that already, to be grateful and be thankful. But science just now is catching up. We can be grateful people, thankful, steadfast in prayer. Paul even asked, hey, would you pray for us? That we might have some open doors. I didn't realize that Paul and and Timothy and some of his friends, they were in a jail situation. And that could have been under house arrest or could, we're not really sure. But he said, hey, pray for us because we would love to have some more opportunities. I think it's interesting 
that he asked them to pray for, for him, that the open door for the word would, would be there so he could de- declare the mystery of Christ. Paul is asking the Colossian people to help him know what words to say. Paul, the street preacher guy, big leader, studied to be a rabbi, he is asking them to pray. And maybe this isn't so unlike us. The people that we work with, the people in our families, the people in community, sometimes we don't know what word to say. We don't want to just blast Jesus at them all the time or, or, or say, you better, you know, here, here's, the, here's the whole plan and beat them over the head with the Bible. Sometimes we need to know what kind of conversations to have. And Paul is asking them, pray so that I'll know, so that we'll know how to open those doors and, and really bring hope and life into the conversation. He's asking prayer. And so if Paul's asking for prayer, maybe you too can have those people that you're praying with regularly and say, hey, help me know how to speak to my coworker. They're really struggling, and they're not even sure if church or Jesus is for them, but maybe I could shed a little hope in their life. Paul is asking for help on that. Maybe, maybe you have some people that we can be praying for for you as well, that, they're, 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 that you might make it clear to them of the good news of Jesus. Paul says to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech be helpful. Seasoned with salt. How, how are your conversations? Think of all the times that we might have wasted in trivial conversations. I say that with a little bit of conviction because I did start the morning talking about a baseball game. I realize that's more trivial compared to the other things. But think of how many hours we've wasted in trivial talk. What if we could use our time better? What if we could be helpful? What if when we're having the talk at the water cooler or in the, in the truck heading to the next job or the, those, the moments in our neighborhood or the moments with our families, we could actually be life-giving and encouraging. And we weren't just wasting time with, with what we could talk about. I mean, I could go on and on about different things about music. Uh, or, or some of you know that I'm kind of a, a wine nerd, so I could talk a lot about wine. But those are trivial matters compared to how are you doing? Is there, can I speak hope into your life? Can I pray for you? What about those times that we've wasted? What if we could redeem that time and say, how can I, how can I be life-giving? So, so Paul says, watch how we speak. Watch how we handle being around people that maybe aren't part of the church. Maybe they could see something different in us, that we would show love, that we would listen and not talk all the time. Maybe, maybe they would see the church as a bunch of people that are, that are really curious about you, not about talking about themselves all the time. Wouldn't that be great? If, if we could change the, the landscape, change how people perceive Christ followers, change how they perceive the church, that we are people that love and want to hear your story, that we want to lean into you. We, 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 want, to, we want to maximize that time with you to show you love, not to waste it. Think of all the times we've wasted, and I'm pointing at myself. I love to laugh. I love good jokes. I love to talk about trivial stuff sometimes, but I realize sometimes I've wasted time, and maybe you're, you're with me. Maybe you've wasted time that could have been spent on healthier things. As we ended this chapter, you'll notice that Paul listed about 11 people by name. And you think, wow, that's, that's a lot of people. I mean, pretty awesome, wouldn't it, to be mentioned in Scripture. I mean, I would like that. Think, think about that. Any party you go to, People could be bragging about their high school sports days. They could be talking about how they went to Italy or something. And you just happen to throw in there, well, actually, I mentioned in the Bible. 
you win. Hands down, you win. Hands down, you win. Actually, Benjamin is mentioned in Scripture. So, uh, no. But if, you're, if your name was listed, what, a, what an amazing thing. Now, here's a fun fact. You think 11 was a lot. If you look toward the end of Romans, I counted, maybe my count's a little off, but I counted at least 35 people listed by name. And that's not even including the fact that he mentions Paul and Timothy here, Epaphras, you know, all those. People make the church family a together thing. When we follow Jesus, we're actually jumping into a family, a community. And Paul here is, is, is talking through all these people that have uh, different roles. This is a very diverse group, by the way. You have men and women in this group. You have people that have very different religious backgrounds uh, from different areas. And yet they're all there as part of the church family. All have their different parts and pieces and roles to play. And it's interesting, if you, if you notice as we read it down, Paul said that there are only two of those people that he listed that have any kind of Jewish background or heritage. And what does that tell us? Remember back in Matthew 28 when Jesus gave the great commandment, the great commission, if you will, sorry, and he said to go out in all the world, share this good news, starting here in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the world. What has the early church started to do now? They are now outside of Jewish strongholds, and they are now reaching more people who have no Jewish background at all. Only two of them had any kind of background. I'm sure that was comforting to Paul because that's his whole, he grew up trying to be a rabbi, learning to be a rabbi. So that was his, that's his home culture. That's his, his peeps. But only two out of all those people now have that Jewish heritage. So the disciples had listened and were taking that message to Greek towns and Roman towns where there wasn't much of a Jewish heritage anymore. The church family was expanding and you could argue that's why we're in this room. Because it expanded all the way to Europe. And some of us have a European background and way back in the day. And we hear, and they, they heard the good news. And we have so much to be thankful for. All these people were there. Only two had that Jewish heritage. You had Jesus, who was called Justice and Nympha. And there were some honorable mentions in there. There's Onesimus. And if you're kind of a Bible nerd like I am, you'll think, I've heard that name Onesimus before. Well, yeah, Onesimus is going to have a, a little teeny book. In fact, it's, spoiler alert, it's at the end of your guide here if you got one of these. Philemon is actually his master. Onesimus is sort of like a missing in action bondservant that found Jesus. And now we have this awkward dilemma of the master found Jesus and the slave found Jesus. And now how does that work? How does that work in the Christian community? And so we have a whole little letter dedicated to that called Philemon. We have Luke, the beloved physician. I would love to find out more about that. How did, how did Luke get trained up? You know, did he, did, where did he do his res residency? I want to know that. You know, how, how did that work for him? But he's called the beloved physician. I'm, I'm guessing in the early church, he was, he was a guy that people really maybe looked to and, and, and got to travel with a bit and was intelligent, wise guy. Very wise. And then Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Now, again, Bible nerd moment. Why would this matter that Paul is calling out Barnabas' cousin, Mark? Anybody remember the book of Acts? There was a little trip that Barnabas and Paul were on, 
and maybe things got dicey, and guess who ditched them in the difficulty? Cousin Mark. And here we have Paul calling him out and saying, hey, I've given you instructions about him, so welcome him. What? We have now a situation where there was some church conflict and they've reconciled. Too often when we get frustrated with each other in the church or we have a disagreement or things get heated, we just ditch. There is a place for sticking there. Leaning in. When we're offended, when we have a difficult moment, instead of just bolting, could we at least consider for a moment that maybe God wants to teach us something in a conflict? Why do we always have to run from it, right? What if God wants to teach us something? I think that's true in Scripture, too. You read something difficult in Scripture, and sometimes people will say, well, I'll just throw it all out. Wait a minute, why does it bother you? And is there something God wants to teach you in a hard moment? Do you know there's only certain things that we can learn when it's difficult? We know that from nature. There's only certain things that happen when it's difficult. And in life, and in the Christian life specifically, there may be some difficulty that we need to to lean in on rather than run away from. Paul ends the letter and says, I'm signing this with my own hand. Salute. He's done. And we've learned a lot in a very short amount of time. But specifically today, a lot about Christian community. That it is crucial to our healthy life in Christ. There was a camaraderie in those 11 names. There was a camaraderie. Same mission. Hey, encourage them. Shout out to this person. Stay with it. There was, there was some interesting things too. Like we, we find out that Nymphus was the female leader of a church in her home. We have some, some diversity there in, in how the leadership works in the early church. We even have a, a mutual trust. We have Epaphras, who is likely the church planter, if you will, the guy that kind of helped start things in Colossae. He's there traveling with Paul. They're sharing the letter around. There's a sense of Christian community that's that's encouraging each other, even in different cities. And then we have some sacrificial devotion. Some of these folks are are going out of their way to support Paul and and, and help the church grow to to protect it. And even, even Paul, he calls out someone there at the end, Aristarchus. He's a fellow prisoner is what Paul calls him. So we don't know if maybe he met Paul in jail and there was this cool crosstalk and maybe you know Paul's leaning over and he's got the, the bars of the jail there. He's like, what are you in for? And uh, maybe, maybe Aristarchus said, well, I was, I was loitering or something. I don't know what it was. But they, uh, then they had this conversation and, uh, and maybe the, the Aristarchus is like, well, I like this Jesus guy. Because all I've heard, Aristarchus, that's a very Greek name. Aristarchus is probably like, well, I don't know, is, is Jesus like one of the, like, is he like Zeus? Is he like Apollo? Those are the gods I know. And how, how Paul can say, no, 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 he's above all that. He's actually God put on flesh. And he loves you exactly how you are. Stop putting up those shrines. Stop cutting yourself to try to get the gods to be happy with you. The, the secret, Aristarchus, is God already loves you. What a life-giving message to a Greek and Roman person just there in jail for whatever reason. We don't know the whole story. I'm, I, I'm adding that. I'm reading in the lines. Okay, I get that. You'll send me an email. But, but things were happening. And, I, and here's the thing. Toward the end, and this is where it gets personal for me. Toward the end, Paul will write and he'll tell Archippus in verse 17. If you have your Bible still open, verse 17, he'll tell Archippus, hey, keep up the ministry and calling from the Lord. Don't ditch it. Keep it up. It might be difficult, but keep it up. 
He encourages him. And that was encouraging to me because this past two years has been really hard. This past two years, as some of you know, has been really hard on our pastoral staff here at our church, probably the pastoral staff of almost any church in the United States. We've faced confusion, we've faced division, uh, all kinds of different isms going on and, and, and competing opinions. We have social media that's making everything just amplified like crazy. And many of us have thought, maybe, maybe this gig isn't for us. And I have a lot of friends in ministry that have either considered quitting or have already quit. And I want you to know that it's been very encouraging to have many of you, and I've had some hard conversations with some of you, and it's been good to learn from each other, but God has not assigned me somewhere else. He's, he said, Ben, stay with the calling. That's exactly what Paul told Archippus, and he's told that to our staff. We haven't changed your calling. Stay with it. And so I want to thank you for some of you. I guess October was Pastoral Appreciation Month. I always forget it, it comes around, but I want to thank you for those who have written cards and, and been encouraging, giving us some gifts to our staff, because this has been uniquely difficult, very difficult. There are many times where I've come home and wondered if this is what I should be doing, because it's hard. And so I want to thank you for praying for, for our family, praying for our staff, because this has been a season that none of us knew were coming, and it's been hard. But God has not assigned me somewhere else yet, and so I'm going to stay with the calling, just like Paul encouraged Archbishop, stay with the calling. Stay with it. Don't ditch it. How much of a role do other Christians play in your life? How much of a role do other Christians play in your life? And if right now you're thinking, oh, not a whole lot, maybe you need to speak to the Lord about that. Because following Jesus is a team sport. It takes a community. It takes people who know you. And, and it takes people who are challenge you and, and trying to push you toward love and good deeds. Even when it gets controversial, Paul accepted Mark back in. Cousin Mark ditched him. He's back in the fold, likely a leader. When it's difficult, we don't ditch. We encourage each other. How much of a role do other Christians play in your life? We did a series on rhythms, and I believe we could easily make this one of the rhythms. That yes, with prayer and scripture, generosity, service, those are all part of the rhythm of following Jesus, absolutely. But there's another component, and that includes Christian community. You cannot do this alone. There is no such thing in the New Testament or even to the day, there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. We need each other to grow. We need each other to practice patience on. We need each other to practice forbearance. We need each other to encourage each other. When I see some of you, I get encouragement. I go home so excited that I got to see you. This is what it means to be in a Christian community. We're encouraging one another. We're helping each other, sometimes confessing sin, sometimes saying, I need help saying, I need encouragement. This is community, and we need that. And there's all kinds of ways that we can get community. We can do it online. God isn't hampered by that. We can do it in person. That's my favorite. We can do it over coffee. We can do it on email. Right now, Jack and I have some good friends, and all we can do is connect with them on Zoom. Now, we could choose, well, that's not in person, so it doesn't matter. It absolutely does matter. Connecting with people in whatever way God has enabled us to do. Text, email, call, Zoom call, whatever you want to do. These are methods that we can use so that we can encourage one another. That's the key. We don't want to give that up because we cannot do this on our own. Cannot happen. Think about that. Hebrews 10, I want to read this to you and then I want to wrap it up. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one, and, one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting, the meet, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Stirring one, and up, stirring one another up to love and good works and not neglecting meeting together. However we can meet together, we need to meet together. We need to meet together. We're built for relationship. My only point today is this. Following Jesus is a together thing. And that's a rhythm and that's a reality. Following Jesus is a together thing. However we can connect with each other, that's what we're going to do. However we can do uh, life together, that's what we do. So here's the challenge for you. In this room, even online, make some coffee appointments. You can have coffee outside if need be at some of our coffee shops around here. Make a lunch appointment. Get Time with someone for dinner at home. Join a group or a team. We have some of those going right now. Next week, we're hiking Basket Slough. Not real difficult, but it's going to be fun. Connect. You need to find ways to develop Christian community in your life because following Jesus is a what? Together thing. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, I lift up everybody in this room. Father, we... We are so blessed to have, have you who love us so much and that you came to us, put on flesh, walked among us, and showed us a new way to be human. And that way involves community together, growing together. There's one another's involved in all this. So, Father, help us to grow spiritually through the avenue of community. Help us not to neglect meeting together, but do whatever we can to connect in whatever format or technology available to us, that we connect, encourage one another, pray for each other, confess our sin, and encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching, that we would stir each other up to love and good deeds. Help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.